Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up on a Sunday night? I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. We got an emergency pod for the people. We weren't originally going to record a podcast tonight. Colin was unable to record uh, from where he was, and the regional has yet to still play out. But uh, I wanted to hop on and talk some baseball, so I pulled uh, Chase Parham out of the bullpen. Uh, Ole Miss is 2-0 and in the Coral Gables Regional and in the driver's seat to advance to a Super Regional next week, uh, which is looking like either Southern Miss or LSU. Point being, the job's not done yet, but the Rebels played two of their better baseball games of the year and got two uh, pretty tough wins, I'd say. So I wanted to come on and talk about it. And a bunch of people were clamoring for the uh, emergency podcast, so uh, we got to give the people what they want. So quicker pod today, not staying as long, just a quick check-in about what happened over the weekend and uh, the outlook um, for to, uh, Monday, that is, as Ole Miss is set to play Miami in the championship tentatively scheduled for noon so not huge on the time sensitive podcast this will probably be obsolete like 12 hours but hey some people wanted it and we are going to provide so anyway before we get to that though I want to remind you the podcast brought to you by skybox sports picks who is skybox sports picks well glad you asked they're the world's best gambling handicapping website the inventors of the skybox matrix rental and events modeling mechanism that has helped propel skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry need to check these guys out they had another profitable weekend in nascar over the weekend they've got some nba final stuff on the site, uh, get geared up for football season. Maybe increase your bankroll a little bit. Let Skybox make you some money throughout the summer before we hit football season in full swing. They're going to make you money more consistently than your own brain. You don't want the bookie texting you on Sunday night, Monday morning, and asking you to square up. You want to be texting him, asking where your supplementary income is coming from. Skybox is going to do that for you more consistently than anyone else. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Go find a picks package. You can do month-long, week-long, season-long. I recommend just going – all sports, all year long, the all-access pass. It's going to pay for itself and then some because doing business with Skybox is an investment that always cashes. Use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, and that'll get you 20% off any purchase. We'll also let them know we sent you. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg. If you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywrights.substack.com. Type in your email. Get a free newsletter from me a couple times a week and discounted meats. Right now it's a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a 5 Prime strip, not shrimp. That would be a different sponsor. Prime, prime strip, can't talk today, and a $5 pack of sausage. That's one hell of a way to kickstart your weekend. Go in there, show and proof of subscription. It'll get you set up, and then find your own favorites. Oxford's so lucky to have a place like LB's. It is absolutely the best place in Mississippi to get meat, and the world for that matter. Uh, all kinds of delicious cuts, fresh seafood. I like the filet burgers, tri-tip, all kinds of great stuff there. Go find your own favorites. If they don't have it, Greg will get it for you. He wants to make your grilling experience great. Got 4th of July coming up. Uh, it's prime grilling season. Let Greg take your grilling experience to the next level. Check him out, LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here's Chase Parham on the last two days of baseball as we uh, really, for the lack of a better phrase, just kind of shot the shit about what happened, uh, kind of rambled a bit, but that's what these reaction podcasts are for. Here he is. All right, we now welcome on Chase Parham. We, uh, I guess we did the pod swap this week. I was on yours Thursday. Now we got an emergency pod after Ole Miss is up uh, or in the winner's bracket through two games in the Coral Gables Regional. I think this is what the influencers call collabing, but uh, just jumping on each other's show. What, uh, what do you think? I mean, I'll just get right to it. I, I didn't think they'd be in this position, but wow. Yeah, you know, it's the it, it's the interesting thing, and it's a couple different things, and I'm trying we'll try not to like bury the lead and mention everything all at once. But 
Ole Miss has played the best baseball of any team in this regional. You know, they came into it and you didn't know what to expect. You you thought, hey, they got in, they got an opportunity. There is a path, but they probably can't deviate from that path. Well, they haven't. Ole Miss is two and They I thought they played a really gritty game against Arizona on Friday night or Saturday night. Sorry, my days are all kind of mixed around. They beat Arizona, and we're not gonna go back and do that and rehash a ton of that game. We're gonna talk about Miami and kind of what's ahead. But I do think it's relevant. You know, Ole Miss could not get to Garrett Urban the first time through after really getting to him a week ago – or, sorry, a year ago when they busted him for seven runs and basically four outs. He, he gets through them all the way through the first time through the order. I think he strikes out every right-handed batter he faces the first time through the order on Saturday night. And then Arizona gets out. They get a lead. They could have hit a couple home runs. And then, like, the fourth, fifth and – fourth and fifth inning, Ole Miss really bar- barreled Urban up. They got after him. They did a lot of things. Couldn't get anything to fall. They couldn't seem to push anything across. And that's where I was just watching the game, and in my head I went, okay, I want to see how they respond here, where they get really good at bats, but it doesn't pay off for anything. And they kind of just kept coming, all leading up to Chatagnier's, uh, you know, Chatagnier's d- double that, that, that sent them over the top there after they had the really bad inning before that. I thought they showed a lot of toughness. I thought they were not tight. I didn't think they pressed at all. And I thought they took that into today. As much as they didn't get things done offensively, look, at this point, that's just an identity for this team. This team is not going to be the best team in the country when it comes to situational hitting. So I'm not even necessarily holding that against them. But what they got on the mound, what they were able to pull off, the way they just kind of hung in there again, they've been the toughest team in this regional. They've played the best of any team in this regional. And what is amazing, given the way the season went from the beginning all the way through most of it, they have pitched better than anybody else in this regional. I mean, if, if Ole Miss has a, has a kryptonite right now, it's on the offensive side of the ball. They are pitching the shit out of it. It is really unbelievable. And I think you're right, though. Like, obviously, the Miami game is what we're reacting to. But they're both relevant. And they just packed in two games in, like, less than, like, 18 hours because of the weather. And so I kind of wanted to start with the Arizona piece of it, too, because I agree with you. Like, one, I think Irvin – I'd be lying if I said I went back and watched game two of the 2021 Super. I don't even know if you can do such a thing. But he looked like a better version of himself. Um, but Ole, he was also Ole Miss also didn't have great at bats in those first three innings, and then the tide kind of turned the second time through the order, despite not getting the results. But to me, it's the the resolve that they've shown at times this year, mostly toward the end of the season, but really lacked early on in the year of like, like you said, in those fourth, fifth, and sixth innings, they couldn't really get anything to happen, couldn't get anything to fall, but they just kept coming. You know, Delusia held them in it, and then they capitalized. Right? They made good on an opportunity. And a lot of times when they've gotten behind, I mean, Colin had some ridiculous stat rolling for like a month and a half to where like Ole Miss, I think, had won one game in SEC play through the – I think it was through the end of April, one game in which they trailed in. And that was when they got down four to nothing in the first inning in the SEC opening against Auburn. They had not won a game that they had trailed in, a conference game at least. And they just kind of hung in there and, like you said, responded. And – you know, Chatagnier obviously was the story from that game, but it was it was like little things as well. I mean, it was Delucia kind of giving him everything that he had, despite I don't think he had his best stuff, made a couple mistakes early, but was fine. And I don't know. I, I, got, I thought the, the excuse me Saturday night game against Arizona, they played better. But today's win against Miami was almost tougher because they were so bad, right? They had like an Arkansas-esque um, gaff, not getting anyone in with the second and third and two out there, and still responded from it, right? Like, there was no body language shift. They didn't implode. They kind of made something out of nothing the next inning, right? And so, I think you're right. I think they played the best baseball. And I guess to kind of put an encapsulating thought on all of that, what's more shocking to you? The fact that they are pitching at this well or the fact that the offense is the problem? 
because it doesn't feel like a new storyline, right? Because we've known this for like at least a month and a half now that, hey, this offense is a real problem. But just gauging the year as a whole, what is more shocking to you, how well they've figured out how to pitch it or that the offense has lagged so far behind? It's the offense. That's the most surprising thing. Because, look, we, were, we ended up being right. It just took so long that it impacted their season and they're not playing in Oxford this weekend. They're in Coral Gables instead. We said Mike Bianco, because he always has, he's probably going to figure out the, the pitching. Eventually, he's going to get it. He's going to figure it out. Now, he's made some huge boneheaded missteps along the way, not pitching Dylan DeLucia against Alabama, uh, or, or starting at least. You know, or Hunter Elliott not pitching at all against South Carolina. I mean, there have been mistakes in here, but they've got kind of the right mix right here. DeLucia's turned into a bona fide ace to whatever degree relative to the SEC this season. And then Hunter Elliott's an emerging star. You know, Hunter Elliott's ceiling is much higher than I thought that I was even at credit for when he first showed up. I thought he was going to be a good pitcher. You know, Nick Suss and I have talked about it a good bit that, you know, we thought that his ceiling would be somewhere early Nikhazy. I don't know. That changeup's playing. The fastball's got more run on it than it, than it did earlier in the season. He's very comfortable as a starter. And he's just kind of got it. I wrote about it. I've written about it a couple different times. That dude stranded a parking lot full of runners today all over the bases. He pitched out of trouble. He has I – mean, I think the first inning is so critical. I got so many things here. I'm kind of rambling a little bit, but I think that's one of these reaction podcasts and just kind of Absolutely. what we do. Um, the first inning is – when you look at it from a psyche standpoint, you're talking about a true freshman on the road. And, look, Miami is not a big stadium, but it's an eclectic crowd. It's a loud crowd. It's kind of a hostile crowd a little bit. It's a tough place to play. It's full – they load the bases on a butt single, a walk, and a walk. And he admitted it in the post-game press conference. He had nothing. He didn't have his fastball. He didn't have his slider. He didn't have a pitch he could just kind of go to and steady himself. And he finds a way out of it. He finds a way out of the first inning. He finds a way out of the second inning. Hunter Elliott allowed the leadoff runner to reach in four straight innings and stranded all of them, all four times. For a freshman, that's kind of unbelievable. And it's what he's been doing all season. He, he, other than against, I guess, A&M when they did hit a ball in the gap against him, he has really done a good job of limiting and just keeping it to single you know, to single runs, to just kind of keeping his, his, his team in the game. His, his ability mentally to do that, we see guys who do their whole career and have really struggled to do that. Drew McDaniel to this day has got all the talent in the world, but he struggled to do it. Elliott's ability to do that is huge, and that just gives them that missing piece. You've got him. You've got the way Mason Nichols stepped up today. You know, Mason Nichols – he won the game as much as Elliott did, giving you 2.1 right there of a perfect baseball to bridge to Johnson. Because these last two days, Brandon Johnson gets the saves. He's the guy that, that, that has finished it off in some tough situations. But here's the other thing is that what Nichols did, what Mallets did, they, uh, they have two different options to get set up to Johnson. Johnson was only, only having the ability to pitch these two days in a row because of these other two people. I mean, it's a storyline that we have not discussed enough. The media, me included, has done a really poor job of. Is Josh Mallett's went from midweek guy who gives up four straight extra base hits against Louisiana Tech last year to the second most critical bullpen arm in this Ole Miss team that's trying to go to a Super Regional tomorrow. I mean, it's it, it's been a hell of a thing for him. His off-speed stuff is the best on the team. He really has figured out how to locate it in different places, throw it for strikes, throw it in different quadrants. Mentally, he's better than last season. He's taken a really nice step with Mallets. I think he's a he's a low-key second-tier MVP of this team as this thing has moved into the second half of the season. And then with Riley Maddox out and what Nichols did today, it was just huge. I, I just think from a pitching standpoint, they've been pretty incredible. I mean, I'm still in a stat from Suss here. They're 10-3 and three in their last 13 games. 
And over that span, they're allowing 4.2 runs per game, striking out 11.5 batters per game. And the bullpen, 2.7 ERA across 52 innings. It's frankly kind of dominant right now. That'll hunt every single time. And backing up a, a little bit to the to the Hunter Elliott part of this, I thought that was one of the most impressive outings by an Ole Miss pitcher period in the last three, four years. Obviously, Doug had some legendary ones as well, but I would put that up there because of everything you just said in the first inning. When they got the bases loaded, I was sitting there thinking, well, this kind of has three-nothing hole or something like that written all over it. On the surface, I, 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 I thought there was a chance he'd get out of it because that's kind of just what he does now. But just on that stage in that moment, he didn't really wilt. And there's been – I think you wrote in your postgame story, something I actually noticed over the last couple of days driving, listening, watching the baseball, whatever – there have been some younger guys that that, is, that has kind of gotten to. You've seen that across the country over the last couple of days, and it didn't really phase him at all. And you, I think you, you wrote in that story that he doesn't have his uh, – he said he didn't have his fastball or his slider. And, like, for a guy not to really have his stuff on that stage as a true freshman and not really blink and still get Ole Miss into the sixth inning, it was remarkable. Like you said, I don't know how many runners he stranded personally, but it felt like a village. I mean, he allowed the leadoff runner to get on in four straight – innings like you said and it didn't really phase him and it's not like he had the one hiccup and recovered he didn't allow Miami anything until he right when he exited the game and it's that part of it because the talent's there right like you said it is there it's his ability to have a productive start on a bad day on a stage like that as a true freshman is remarkable to me and it's it, it, bad start if from the talk, standpoint of he didn't have something because if, if someone wants to I noticed this in, in real time it's one of the few things that I did kind of pick out today as I was watching in real time, if you go back and watch anything from this, is that really looked so uncomfortable. He was having a hard time with his plant foot. He was having a hard time getting his delivery to be synced up. There were so many things along those lines that I thought was interesting. It wasn't just, oh, well, this pitch isn't located. He was completely out of sync, and he sort of was able to mentally go, okay, just throw the ball across, across the plate, trust my stuff, and let's get through this thing. I mean, it's it's the first inning. It's it, it's in a very cr critical thing there. And after those two, you know, missteps, he gets that huge strikeout of Yo-Yo where that thing turns completely sideways if he gets the ball out of the yard right there. It really is. It's an entirely different game. And I thought – I was sitting there thinking, I was like, man, if Ole Miss can, like, come out and they didn't end up doing it. But, like, once Elko had the two-out double, I was like, man, if they can poke one over the fence here, that's one hell of an early momentum swing in this game if Miami does that in the first inning. And then Ole Miss, and gets nothing out of it. And then Ole Miss is able to turn around and put a couple of runs on the board. But yeah, I don't know what else is left you can say about him. I mean, one of the reasons I'll put it as like a big picture thought. One of the reasons I thought they had a chance in this regional was because they've had better teams, they've had worse teams that have gone into regionals with worse one-two punches than what Delusia and Elliott have become. Now the inverse of that is the reason I didn't pick them to win this regional. I didn't think they could win a game like today where they were bad at the plate for seven innings or whatever. And, like, I didn't think the approach against Plumkus was very good for the first five innings or so. I think they only had one hit going into the six. Maybe it was two. I can't remember. But I didn't think they could win a game like this to where they were bad offensively for all but about seven total at-bats. I don't know. You could probably debate that a little bit and still come out on top because normally it's like it's an error or not just one inning where they're not be able to get off the field where that becomes a 4 nothing lead or something instead of one nothing. I didn't think they had this sort of errorless game. You know, they are what they are defensively in the outfield. I get it. It doesn't look great. But I didn't think they had this sort of tough game 
when things weren't going their way for most of the game in them. And, of course, I was wrong. But that literally was the reason why I didn't pick them to come out of the regional. I thought it was a winnable regional. I just didn't trust them to play a game like this. Have they played 18 innings of airless baseball? I know they didn't have an air on Friday. Did they have one today? I can't remember one. Uh, they did not actually have one. They had Leatherwood misplaying the ball yeah. in right when I'm pretty sure Elliot turned around and said, catch the effing ball. Yeah, that's that's not great. That's not what you want. I don't I want to <laughs> Ole Miss's uh, hitters that are playing outfield are getting great jumps on the baseball. But you're right. I guess it's not an official error. But, like, they, they played, you know, good enough defense. They haven't had the kick it around type gaff. And I didn't think they had that game. Their infield defense has actually been really good yep. the last three to four weeks. That's key to a lot of this winning streak is how good they've been. Bench, Gonzalez, shot, Nyayoka. Even plays like Gonzalez, like he didn't get the turn two, but they had that ball. Like I think it was two on and either no out or one out, but Gonzalez goes to his right and gets that ball in the hole and gets the guy at second. There was no shot at the double play, but you also weren't going to get the guy at first. And those type of small things have helped them in this region. It certainly helped Elliott escape a jam today because, you know, when he's got that many guys on base and there's that much traffic – one error actually does turn it into a different story, right? That does become 2 3 nothing. Hell, Elliott fell victim to that earlier in the year, right? It's kind of followed a similar, like, mirroring pattern in that we talked about Elliott having bad luck where he's putting guys on and then the defense is letting him down. That didn't happen today. And so I thought today was a tougher win despite them playing worse, if that makes sense. I guess from an offensive standpoint, it really is what is worse because they pitched the hell out of it. And uh, now they're in the driver's seat of this Coral Gables Regional. And somehow through all of this, this team is three wins from the College World Series. I don't understand. This sport doesn't make any sense to me. i tell you one last thing on Elliott, and it's something we've talked about on our separate podcast. We've talked about when we've done podcasts together, is that college baseball more than any sport is – maybe not more than any sport, but to a very large degree is predicated by a confident team and the confidence they get from their starting pitcher. Mentally, teams – react to who the starter is. They play looser. They know not to panic. It's what affected Ole Miss offensively early in the season, in my opinion. I think they were impacted because they thought they had to score eight or nine runs. Actually, Jacob Gonzalez admitted this a couple times. He said, you know, we, we feel like we've got to go. We've got to go. We've got to go. Two or three is not going to be enough. And you saw DeLucia give them that spark in the middle of the season. When he would pitch, they would calm down. They would play better behind him. They would hit. They would do the little things better. And now, look, it's not perfect. I mean, they had some lot of issues today. I mean, that, that, that sixth inning today was abysmal in a number of different ways offensively. However, they're also getting that from Elliott right now. There's been a switch flip when Hunter Elliott's on the mound they get that level of confidence. Look, this team is not totally different from last year. Everybody goes, hey, the offense is different. And it is. It also just it, – it's also different because Nikhazy and Hoagland aren't on the mound to give them that type of confidence from a team-wide standpoint. They're, they're playing better defense in the infield. They are hanging in games better because of those guys on the mound. Elliott's taken that step to, frankly, give them a pretty good chance. You know, go, and, and, look, we're, 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 they're still playing. Again, they're three wins from the College World Series. But going into next season, you can see a nucleus where you can start putting some stuff together even though they lose a lot of things. I mean, he is he's taking that jump right now for them that's, uh, that's, that's pretty incredible. I mean, it, it really it really is. And, yeah, I don't – I did not necessarily anticipate this at all. Um, we knew this was the path. We knew that Miami and Arizona were susceptible, that it wasn't like you were running into a Tennessee-type buzzsaw, that Arizona was nowhere near the Arizona they were last year other than the name across the chest. It was it was there was there was a path there was a thing here and it's it's still there. I mean, I'm watching it right now. We're in real time. It's one to one in the fourth inning between Arizona and Miami. Um, Ole Miss fans probably would like it to be fifteen to fifteen instead of one to one. They're kind of cruising through this thing a little bit, but huge opportunity tomorrow. And 
then you move into, you know, if you can get it done, you move into kind of a, a different level of ghost, whether it be LSU or Southern Miss. I don't have that game on right now to see what would be waiting ahead of you. But, no, look, they, they have played incredibly well, and it has been all about the pitching. You know, offensively, they haven't been very good. They've gotten just enough hits at the appropriate times. They've hit the ball out of the ballpark. Elko getting that huge double. And I, I do have to give them credit on that today because, again, the sixth inning, they get runners on second and third, nobody out. And you think, okay, they're at least going to tie. They're going to figure it up. You've got four, five, six up with no outs and runners on second and third. Kevin Graham strikes out swinging on a ball that was in the other batter's box. I mean, it was just a really weak effort on, on an off-speed pitch. Uh, Kemp Alderman takes a 3-2 pitch for a strike. It was a nasty pitch. It was a really good pitch. But it's a 3-2 pitch that he does not swing at. They get a walk to load the bases, and then Chatagnier weakly grounds into a fielder's choice. The throw was really close to being too late at second. I would like to at least send a review. I don't think they would have overturned it, but they overturned something early in the game that should have been overturned. So I, a review there would have made a lot of sense for me. But you're coming, again, back to our, our, our main talking point. You're coming out of that inning where you just squander a perfect opportunity. You get into the seventh, two quick outs. I, I forget who was up first, but they got out, and then John Kramer pinch hit, and he got out as well. I think it was Leatherwood. I think it was Leatherwood and then Kramer maybe. But either way, those happen back-to-back. Two outs, nobody on. You've kind of screwed up again. You know that Andrew Walters is over here. Eventually, you're going to have to deal with our All-American closer. If you're behind, bench gets a hit. Gonzalez gets a hit. Oko, first pitch he sees, he hits into the gap for the double that decides it. They just kind of kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. It was There was a lot of resolve in that game today for Ole Miss. It really was. In the sixth inning, I mean – I don't know how you could rank like the bad sequences in order. I thought that, I mean, look, the, the Graham at bat was terrible. Um, like you said, it was just kind of a weak at bat in that situation. I mean, literally you put the ball just about anywhere in play, you're probably getting that run across the side from a pop-up or a ground ball hitting a really inopportune spot. I thought the Alderman bat was like better. I thought he battled better, but you can't, I mean, granted it was two really good pitches by that kid, but you can't take it there. And that's the type of thing I hate to bring up the Tennessee Tech thing, but whatever that sequence was, what did they have first and second and no out, and they didn't score? And then it just – I mean, you could feel the stadium deflate. It was maybe it – was, it was Zabowski and somebody. Somebody, but that type of stuff in the postseason, I know you're not in front of your home crowd and, look, there's not 12,000 people there, but that's the kind of, like, deflating sequence that's really hard to get over when you're playing – essentially, I mean, look, it wasn't an elimination game, but, like, there isn't – there aren't as many tomorrows, right, in these types of things. Like, when your season, for all intents and purposes, is on the line, that's the type of stuff that's hard to get over. And to their credit, as bad as that was, them creating something out of nothing with two outs there in the top of the seventh and immediately responding to it, I thought showed some toughness as well. Um, it wasn't a great offensive day, right? I mean, look, the, the Elko, Bench – and Gonzalez, Elko had two hits, Gonzalez had two hits, and I think Bench had one. No one else had a hit. One through three had every single one of their hits today. The rest of the six, uh, four through nine or whatever was over, I think, unless I have Oh, look, I mean, they, they, they're they not good against left-handed pitching overall. And then I, I know TJ's banged up. I mean, Mike admitted after the game the thumb's a real problem um, to the point that if it doesn't improve, I don't know how you play him tomorrow. I think you have to do something else. But they're getting <laughs> – when I look at their lineup right now, I guess is my point, and let me pull it up because I think this is this is pretty relevant. Box score, hold on. You know what you're going to get from Bench, Gonzalez, Elko. I know Graham had a rough day, but for the most part, Graham. I mean, yeah, I mean, Kevin went 0 for 3 with three strikeouts today. Uh, Kemp went 0 for 4 with three strikeouts today, but he's been better all season. Dunhurst has taken a huge step. He's having really good quality at bats on most games, even when he doesn't get hits. He walked twice today. He reaches twice, even though he went 0 for 2. 
shot. Yeah. He's obviously done what he's done. The problem is after that, Leatherwood's been in a pretty big slump. McCants has been in a huge slump. And against left-handers, they've been, frankly, awful. Uh, the two of them combined, Suss came up with this. They're hitting like 176, and they're striking out in almost 40% of their bats against left-handers. I just don't know, with McCants banged up and with Leatherwood, especially in these close games right now, I don't know how that's the lineup you're throwing out there every day. I think it's time, potentially, because of what you would get in defense – potentially what you would get with maybe some more quality of bad things. It's probably worth at least experimenting with a Banks Tolly or somebody like that and seeing what would happen. I, I know that's not a, a typical Mike move this point of the postseason. I know that's probably not happening tomorrow. But if they throw a left-hander out there or you know you're going to run into a day like today where it's a left-handed ace and you know that, hey, this guy's going to hang around for a minute. I get not setting your lineup when it's going to be a staff day. But on a day like today when they were going to throw that guy out there, it just seems like that's not the lineup that's the best case. It's the lineup that's worked as far as they've won games. They're 10-3 and three in the last 13. But against lefty-handers, you're putting two spots in the order that are complete and utter liabilities right now. It really is. I, I think you're right. I was thinking about that today. I didn't actually go to the – I forgot Banks Tolly existed. But he's actually kind of done some things in the opportunity. He's gotten – It's been fun. Didn't he kind of do this? There had that weird – I've missed covering this. This was an error on my part just from Colin and I talking on the podcast through the LSU series. He had that, like, week-and-a-half stretch where he went with Kramer. Didn't Kramer make, like, two starts? If, yeah, if Kramer I'm, played for uh, over a week. So he's, like, tried it sort of, and then he went away from it. I'd be curious. It seems like they're probably a little bit in the hang-up. Like, I don't want to say the answer, but a viable option is Ben Van Cleef, but the problem is, is he can't play in the field, right? Like, you'd have to do a lot of finagling to make that work out as bad as the defense is anyway from a logistics standpoint. Because, like, like Van Cleve at least puts the ball in play, right? He doesn't strike out a ton. And I think that would help them at the bottom of the lineup right now. But with Alderman being your DH and neither one of those guys really being able to do much, I guess you could stick Alderman in the outfield. I don't know. But that really kind of handcuffs you there. So, I'm kind of with you. I'd be interested to see if Mike tries it. I'm, I don't think he does either. Um, but just kind of a closing thought on the offense, at least – you know, if nothing else out of today, as bad as it was, the guys who were supposed to give you a lift gave you a lift when you needed it the most, right? It's, I think that Mike said that on the radio broadcast. Your stars, eventually your stars kind of have to make plays. And it was Gonzalez, it was Elko with the massive hit, and then Bench has been as consistent as anybody for them. So I think they're probably fine about one through six, but I am curious to see what those bottom three spots look like. Look, it's, it's, if you're looking at this offense and like thinking about, you know, where it improves and what to look for. Isn't it Dunhurst and Sean Yates? Those two guys were the reason for the uptick late in the season. They've hit better, and they haven't kind of you – know, they've kind of gone up and down a little bit since, but that's been the reason. And so if you're looking for kind of an improved offense going forward, to me it's outside of tweaking, it's probably those two just kind of going on a bit of a tear. But, you know, they did just enough today, and sometimes in these postseason games that's all you really have to do, right? They didn't play very well in the, the, the game two – or their second game, winner's bracket game last year against Florida State. They just kind of were gritty and found a way. I don't think it's a coincidence that Nikhazy was on the mound for that. Elliot was on the mound for this one. Circling back to Elliot, one more real quick, because I had a couple more things I wanted to get to. What's he like? I don't, that's one of the things – look, I know we don't learn a ton from those interviews, but you can kind of get the vibe of like somewhat of this guy's like – I call it a baseball personality. We obviously don't know these kids. But what they're like mm – -hmm. like with Doug – I hate to use this as an example, but I don't care. He's done so much since. When Doug had his slip-up before his sophomore season, remember he came to the dugout with, like, a prepared statement as if we are about to grill him? Do you remember this? I was like, this is not Tiger Woods with, like, your mother on the first row, like, about to do a press conference about your sex life. Like, yeah, 
it, it awkward timing, whatever, bad mistake. But like he came in with a prepared statement. I just thought that was like so typical. He walked up to us and goes, "Hey, I need to share something." Yeah. And he started talking. <laughs> it's not like we were about to grill him about that anyway. But that was a sign of like that kid's always like he's a little quirky, but he's always like with it. And you could tell he had it even before that as a freshman. He was just very composed. What is Elliot like? I'm curious. He's incredibly confident. I mean, you know, he's a kid that's learning. I think that he has had some eureka moments. I think he realized he's more comfortable starting than relieving. For whatever reason, his – and I get that in short stance you're not using a changeup anyway. So, I understand I, – I get it from that standpoint. But even beyond that, his changeup doesn't work as well out of the bullpen. For whatever reason, he kind of figured that out. He realized some different things about him. He, he He's learned a lot from Dylan DeLucia. Yeah, I, I get one's a left-hander, one's a right-hander, and they do a lot of different things. But they both are guys who need to be efficient and throw strikes and not walk a ton of people and kind of pitch the same way. They can't pitch – they can't nibble. I, I did think Hunter was not – it's one misconception today. Everybody goes, hey, he's got to quit nibbling. He wasn't trying to nibble. He couldn't throw a damn fastball across the plate. He didn't have his pitches. He wasn't necessarily trying to hit black on everything. He's learned with DeLucia. A lot. They've kind of grown off each other a little bit. I mean, DeLucia's just a Juco kid. It's not like he's been through the ringer 10 different times himself. I think he's learning. I think he's adapting. I think he listens to everything he hears from everywhere. I think – Team USA, if he does make the team, will be very valuable for him this summer. Frankly, I think a summer in the Cape would be very valuable for him. And he's just – he's supremely confident. You know, I think he's gotten a little annoyed because it's a its a bad media question where he'll have a big day and they'll go, hey, you're a freshman. You know, have you really gained a lot of confidence the last two weeks? And he'll kind of go, I was kind of always confident. I don't know. Like, I'm just getting people out. It kind of is what it is. You have so many people with busy minds. In, in college baseball with pitchers, You've seen guys who are constantly running 9,000 things through their minds and being a freaking calculator. He doesn't do that. At the end of the day, it's I see a pitch, okay, throw the pitch, and if he hits it, he hits it. I'm just trying to hit my spot. He slows the game down and has sort of a confidence in that moment that that we haven't seen. I mean, we, we see it from older guys. I mean, DeCasey had it from the beginning to a certain extent for sure. Um you know, there's been more cerebral guys. You know, Pomerantz had it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, and I'm trying to not just name aces, but Sorry. typically those guys are successful because they they end up becoming some level of ace. And I, I do. I think that it's just sort of a gift he has, and I think that for whatever reason, he has not let moments in this transition and this jump to SEC baseball really define him much at all. You know, he is he hasn't shown a ton, ton of personality yet with us. You're not going to get that out of freshman mostly anyway. He's, he's that that's not going to be the thing. But he's straightforward, um, and he gives you a glimpse of how he's able to process information and process it in simple ways that don't busy up things that he's trying to do out on the field. Mike had a comment today. I can't remember if it was something in your story or one of the resident uh, radio broadcast postgame live tweeters, but Mike, Mike said something about his composure, and I wish you could bottle that up and give it, mm-hmm. like, it, give it to someone else. I mean, I get – He'd probably never admit this, even if we had him under truth serum. But, like, do you think in his mind he's picturing Derek Diamond and Drew McDaniel as he's saying that? Like, I bet so badly he just wants to give a piece of that composure and the confidence that you're talking about and, you know, quiet, still mind, whatever it is for Elliot. That's got to be the two dudes he's wanting to give that to most because they're probably not in this position if, <laughs> if, if those two guys have that. It's, it's McDaniel, um, and, and, I, and I mean that as a compliment. I, I know it sounds like I'm being an ass, and I'm not really trying to be. You know, with Derek, I don't think he's 100% healthy. Um, he's not the same pitcher he was in 2020. I think Derek gives them exactly what he is able to give them physically right now. That is my opinion. They can argue with me. Derek might tell me I'm full of it, and I'll say, okay, obviously you know your body better than I do. But that's my opinion. My opinion is that Derek 
runs into some Teague issues because he's not 100% healthy. He has some velocity issues relative to where he was early in 2020 against Texas because of maybe not being completely healthy. And that's more on coaching. That if you would get Derek out of the game at the appropriate time, he wouldn't have a confidence problem because you would go, hey, you did a hell of a job. You gave us four innings. I'm going to slap you on the tail. I'm going to send you the dugout. I'm going to hand the ball to Mason Nichols, and we're going to go win a baseball game. I, I think there's an element of that. If you leave Derek in, knowing what it's probably going to end up, if you make him throw six, if you make him get into that 100-pitch count area, something like that, well, at some point that's on you. That's not on Derek. I mean, he's shown you over and over and over again the ability for him to get out of situations when they get there. It's Drew because the stuff is so good. It's right there. He, his career is reminding me more and more of Nathan Baker back from the day where, from 2007, 2009, where Nathan had such good stuff. He really did. And just mentally couldn't quite get over the hump where, unlike Hunter, the innings do blow up and you can't forget it. You don't have that cornerback mentality that you've never been beaten by a wide receiver ever. And we're going to get the next guy out and we're going to move on. So it, it, that, that's the extreme example. But where Mike's right is we're talking about Hunter and his ability to do it because it's special even to the average guy. It's not even the people who really struggle in that area. It's even your normal pitcher. I mean, he does it better than, than Delusia does it. I mean, it's, it's just something that, yeah, I mean, you can't bottle it up. You can't teach it. You just got lucky that one of them's on your roster and you get to hand him the ball once a week. Last bullpen thing, I mean, last pitching thing before we uh, kind of look at, like, what this regional is, like, shaking out to uh, – like, you mentioned something about Mallets and Nichols earlier that's interesting – Mason Nichols is a true freshman has been absolutely nails for Ole Miss. And, you know, people, people, I, the, the example of bringing McDaniel in against Texas A&M with runners on base, granted it was different. It was early in the game, wasn't necessarily like a high leverage situation. And I don't remember Nichols availability, but isn't that their guy to inherit runners now? I mean, how many times this year has he come in? He's got like just enough swing and miss stuff. He doesn't really like, I, I wouldn't say he's why well, I don't know what his walk numbers are, but he seems to locate pretty well. He was awesome. And the, the, the difference, quite literally, the difference in that game today was is he inherits first and third with no outs. And instead of letting that get to two to nothing and kind of doing an okay mm-hmm. job, he did literally everything he could do besides strike out the side or whatever and not allow any runs. But the kind of quietly bottling it up, sack fly two more outs and get off the field was the difference in the game today. He's been tremendous as a true freshman for Ole Miss. I can't even work an MIS joke in at this point. I, got, I tweeted something <laughs> about it. I, now I have prep people liking it, and so I don't know if they understand the bit. If, that, if this lands me on the MIS payroll for marketing, I'm, I'm in with that. Uh-huh. But just as a true freshman, I mean, that kid was pitching in high school this time last year, probably just finished. It's kind of remarkable. Um, like you said, he every bit won that game today for Ole Miss as much as Elliott did, and he's just kind of done that all year. I think he's allowed – I believe I have this right – three earned runs since April 20th, which was his first of two appearances against Mississippi State. He's been incredible, and, you know, you lose a Riley Maddox in this bullpen, and I, I actually forgot they lost Riley Maddox for a second, right? Like, depth has become a strength in their bullpen, having multiple guys to set up to Brandon Johnson, so you're not having to do a Taylor Broadway a la 2021 where you bring him in anytime it gets squirrely and just, you know, pray he gets you to the finish line. It's kind of remarkable what a couple of these guys have turned into, you know, starting with Nichols and Mallets as well. Yeah, 34 strikeouts, 10 walks, and 28 innings for Nichols on the season. It's frankly a low inning total considering what he's been able to give you. 3.2 ERA. He's done a great job. You were right. It's three earned runs since that state game. And I, I tell you what he's done, and I think that it's going to be his role, um, or at least his role maybe until he's, he's a good bit older, maybe in a third year or something. But, but when I look at his ledger for the season – he started out with three one-run, one-inning efforts, and then after that he went 2.1, then he went two, 
Then he went 1.2, 1.1, went a couple of number one ones. And that stretch you're talking about, two innings, three innings, 1.1 innings, 2.2 innings, 2.1 innings, 2.1 innings. He's going to get better. The stuff is – I'm, I'm avoiding using the word sneaky because that's not fair because, I'm frankly, it's people we use that and nobody even understands what it means anymore because it's overused. But his stuff plays up. You kind of look at it and you go, okay, he's kind of a command guy. And you go, no, there, there's a little swing and miss. There's, there's some stuff there. It's, 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 not, it's not bad. He's a bullpen able to go through the lineup all the way once and then maybe even get that second guy a couple times for you. And I think that's the way to use him other than trying to force feed him, him, him into a starter role. You know, I, I do think his his stuff can be a starter stuff, but I think it's a Sunday starter. I think it's a Tuesday starter. I think it's a lower half of the league Saturday guy maybe in a very high ceiling standpoint if you want to project him out. But I think he can get a lot of outs for you and really be a dynamic weapon for you out of the bullpen, knowing that you can bridge to somebody else. Or even, frankly, you know, maybe his ceiling down the road is an Aaron Greenwood type where he's he, – He's, he's getting the last six to nine outs of the game, and you bring him into the seventh inning to finish things. He, he's got a comfort level to go in multiple innings that I've been really impressed with. And, you know, look, same thing today. I mean, he's losing that game when he comes in. Ole Miss is not ahead. Miami's trying to add on. or I guess they score the run to go ahead right there. You know, Miami's trying to add on. I mean, that's a hostile situation that Nichols comes in and just kind of gets it done feeding off Elliott. That's two freshmen that did one hell of a job today for Ole Miss. And – you know, somebody asked Hunter about this, and he's right. The league's prepared them for that. I mean, Miami, it's like I said, it's a tough environment, but they've pitched in LSU. They've pitched in Arkansas. I mean, Elliot mentioned even just the way the fans are down on you. Kentucky can be a little weird there at times. So they're battle-tested. I mean, when you get into June of a freshman year, you're basically a sophomore at this point. Yeah, yeah and you're right, because it's right around that time of year where it's all baseball and no school anymore. Like, mm-hmm. you really do kind of graduate into, like, a freshman and a half. Like, it really is kind of like a prelude to your sophomore year. Malich, real quick, I, I get very few things correct, but, like, he – Mike rarely used him earlier in the year, and he would come in and, like, mop up duty. But I remember one particular outing against Auburn when they were up, like, 18 to 5 or whatever it was. He comes in and starts dropping, like, breaking balls on both sides of the plate, painting the corner for strikes – and then he throws, like, a couple 93-mile-an-hour fastballs. You're like, whoa, what, who is this dude? Like, you used, he could have used that in April in Starkville last year. But it's like Mike – wait. I guess he kind of fell out of favor, and Mike waited a long time to give him an actual opportunity that meant something. And I can't remember which one the first one was. I don't think it went well because um, I remember kind of eating my own words after that. But like you said, his evolution and kind of maturation as a pitcher has gone a little bit under the radar just because of the million things going on with this team. But, like, he looks like a totally different pitch, pitcher than he was a year ago. And he's – I mean, look, Jack Doherty has pitched twice since the Arkansas series. It's it, – like, it, he's kind of – I don't want to say an afterthought, but, like, because of guys like Mallets and Nichols, like, Doherty is no longer, like, the bullpen workhorse. I'm going to give you a Mallet stat here that I have not actually used, but I found, I, I'm going to tweet it in a minute because I found this interesting. I'm just staring at this. Hold on, give me one second to make sure I'm right. So, Josh Mallets has – one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten – 13, I know it's bad pot. Okay, he's had 14 appearances this season. 12 of those 14 appearances have been against NCAA tournament teams, and Josh Mallets has thrown up a zero in 12 of his 14 appearances this season. That's unreal. He's only allowed runs in two of 14 appearances, and he has played 12 NCAA tournament teams. 
And the two, I just pulled it up along with you, the two were South Carolina and Mississippi State. And that's what it was when he finally got that first opportunity against South Carolina. He didn't pitch very well. I think he immediately allowed a, new, a, a tank shot and then, and then got one out and was out of there. But that's an unbelievable stat. I mean, 12 – I mean, even if it wasn't NCAA tournament teams, every, I mean, going 12 appearances against anybody or 14 appearances against anybody and only allowing runs in 12 of them, it would be remarkable if he was a midweek guy. It's, He's on a run right now. I'm doing this quickly because I know it's really bad pod. 3.2, He's on a run right now, 12.2 innings without an earned run, and that is across five appearances against Southern Miss, LSU, Texas A&M, Vanderbilt, and Arizona. That same stretch, he's got one walk and 20 strikeouts. Check, double check me on that. Is, is that correct? One walk, 20 Ks. That is absurd. We're just figuring out. This is like giving people an inside look at the writing process where you start going through numbers. You're like, oh, wow, is that correct? And then your math is wrong three times and you have to change it in the actual story. But like the point still gets across. That's insane. I mean, it's. Look, look, look at his season. A 1.38 ERA, 40 strikeouts, nine walks. And when you get down to it, that's why they're here. It's not because of the offense. It's because you got two starters no, pitching something and it's, it's bullpen guys like this actually not only just doing it and having more success, but doing it when it absolutely matters. It's, you know, Nichols in key situations like today or Mowat's just doing it against quality competition. Like you said, 12 of the 14 or NCAA tournament appearances or 14 appearances against NCAA tournament teams. It's remarkable. And so that's clearly why they're in this position. I guess we'd be remiss before we talk strategy for tomorrow and get out of here. We've gone 40 minutes here without mentioning Peyton Chatagnier and what he did for them last night, because in all actuality, I'm not sure we'd be having this conversation with them in this position if it. No, he, he he won the baseball game. Period. Yeah, he had five RBI. He had the home run and the three run triple, or double, whatever it was. It's it's. I don't want to say it like could. I don't want to do the whole. It couldn't have happened to a better guy. But in terms of this team and like what they needed from an intangible standpoint and some of that like fight and like visible emotion, he's like the guy, like the embodiment of that. Despite having a tough year, look, this guy played every single game basically since he stepped on campus. I think they may have platooned to second base a little bit when he first got here, but point being, he's been a starter basically since day one. Mike benches him at Kentucky this year, and it doesn't get better when he comes back from the benching initially, and the guy stuck with it and had two of the biggest hits of the season and quite literally kind of saved their season because they're not making it anywhere if they lost that game. And I mean, both with two outs, I think the I, with the triple or double, whatever it was, bases clearing deal was, I believe he battled back from 0-2. And then he got a, he hit a couple walls, then fouled off a couple pitches, then finally got one and poked down the line. Just talk about a guy that's really, really had a tough year. And instead of kind of folding and becoming an afterthought, like you've seen some guys do in the past, he's, I mean, they have a guy on the team right now that's not playing anymore. It's kind of become an afterthought because he struggled a little bit defensively and the hitting taped off. He's stuck with it, had a great attitude. And it showed even when he's struggling, and it finally came through for him last night. I mean, he's he's an important player despite the numbers. He's played he's played a really damn good second base since he came back. He struggled a little earlier in the year with that, but he's been really good. He and Gonzalez have been pretty damn good up the middle. I know Gonzalez had the one error against Vanderbilt in the SEC tournament that was a big error, but since the weather warmed up, those two have been really good. Chatagnier, like you said, he's been the emotional leader. He didn't blink at all when he got taken down in the lineup. And he, he got taken out of that leadoff spot. For, for Justin Bench. And I, I did the math last night. You were speaking of writing process. 
there was a 76 at bat period where Chatagnier was hitting 132 on the season. That's a long time. In a college baseball season, 76 at bats is a lot of games. He was hitting 132. He gets benched. He comes back over this winning streak or this, this streak of, of 10 and 3 since Ole Miss has gone on since leaving Arkansas. Chatagnier is hitting 364, and he scored a run in 10 of the last 12 games. Wow. 10 of the last 12. Yeah, before today. This was in last night's story. So now I guess technically 10 of 13, but either way. And like we mentioned earlier, like him and Dunhurst, I think will end up being the difference with this offense. But I just think from like an intangibles and like a leadership standpoint, that felt like not not a a guy's due for one. But I wasn't – as bad as the year's gone, I wasn't shocked that it was kind of him that picked them up. Look, I could have had a couple other candidates. But uh, I don't know. It's good to see for that kid. He seems like a good dude who's had a year from hell from a, from a hitting standpoint. So that's kind of about it from like what happened. I'm just curious now as we kind of project this forward, Ole Miss is obviously in the driver's seat of this regional. We're watching Miami, Arizona uh, play out right now. You know, whether it's 1-1 or 15-15, if it stays 1-1 for like 20 innings, that will probably help out uh, for Ole Miss as well. But that's another thing why today was so key. And I know I made the point talking to you Thursday that's like, I don't necessarily think they're dead even if they lose, if they win the game, their first game against Arizona and lose to presumably what would have been Miami because of the lack of pitching. But the, the rain-shortened part of this or the weather-shortened part of this to where you had to turn around and play an Arizona team who's okay. I mean, it's definitely not Canisius 45 minutes after an emotionally draining loss like that. That's no, that's no, I mean, that's no easy task. And then having to turn around and play two games the next day, Ole Miss is really fortunate in that sense to kind of get off their feet. I'm stating the obvious here, but they're really in the driver's seat. Do you think they finish it? Eileen, yes. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think that it makes no sense right now to bet against them, given that I know Miami and Arizona can both really hit. I know they can be offensive teams. But neither one has shown me that, frankly, they're playing their best baseball. I mean, you look at it even going into this regional, Miami had lost six of eight, Arizona had lost 10 of 15. They've been scuffling for the last few weeks, even coming into Coral Gables. Ole Miss gets two shots. They finally get some rest. I mean, that's the other part of this, too, Miami and Arizona. It's 9.43 Eastern right now. I mean, they're not getting in bed early, and I get their kids, and then people are going to roll their eyes. But Arizona got in bed at 3.15 last night before they played an 11 o'clock game today against Canisius and then played another game against Miami. So if you're playing the Wildcats, they're pretty drained. Miami's going to be fresher, um, but their bullpen has been really taxed. I mean, it's what Canisius did for you. They made, they made Miami throw six different pitchers. They made them throw Walters. They made them do a lot of different things. This game's 1-1. I mean, we'll see where it goes. Maybe if somebody blows somebody out. But you got to think Walters would get in this game at some point if it stays close. I, I just think Ole Miss has a huge advantage, especially in game one. I, I do feel like when it gets into that if necessary game, Ole Miss is going to have to hit their way through that. Their lineup's going to have to be better. But I think in that first game tomorrow, Ole Miss has got a really good advantage. They've done pretty well in game threes for the most part all season as far as how they've sort of pieced those things together. So, yeah, I mean, I, my, my, it, it, you know, I, Neil had found the stat for me today. Since this tournament format began, it's uh, 81% of teams who start 2-0 win a regional. Um, that's a huge number. Now, look, Ole Miss is 0-1. The only time they've done it under Mike Bianco was 2012. They beat uh, TCU, they beat Texas A&M, and they lost TCU twice. But – Team's playing pretty confident. They've got some pitching back. Mallets can come back tomorrow and give them something. I know they would at least try to give the ball to Brandon Johnson if they had to tomorrow. So, yeah, I mean, I think Ole Miss has a, has a pretty good chance of closing this thing out tomorrow and, and, and seeing where it goes from there. 
I think if you're the Rebels, you would much rather play Arizona than Miami, but they, they would be a betting favorite against either team in the first game anymore. Walters did not – I meant to ask you this earlier, but Walters did not pitch against Canisius, did he? You know, they did. He came in and threw 30-something pitches against so Canisius. Did, okay, that's what I thought. And so, I was. they were talking about him on the broadcast today like he was fresh. And, look, I guess he could have turned around. But that was, I was like, I'm pretty sure that guy pitched yesterday. Um, were you surprised they didn't go to him earlier? Had he not had to pitch against Canisius, do you think when they get uh, – because uh, what's the Plumkiss Quist? Is that kid's uh, the Miami ace? Plumquist, yeah. Plumquist. He do you think they would have gone straight to him in the seventh versus the other kid that Ole Miss ended up scoring the two runs off of? That's what I was. That doesn't that doesn't appear to be their mo. And had they brought him into the seventh, he couldn't have finished it. Um, when I went back and looked at his number of pitches throughout the season, and he has thrown on back to back days twice. However, when he's done that, it's been very short stints. It's been like. 15 and then 11, or it's been 29 and then 15. I mean, they've really tightened him up to just kind of one innings on that second day. He does not appear to be a Brandon Johnson kind of rubber arm that can just throw for days and days and days or a Dylan DeLucia. So, because I think what happens is he's so fastball oriented that I think once he starts losing some juice, it levels out. And then he becomes less effective. So, you got to make sure you – it's playing roulette a little bit with him. You, you, you get a lot out of him, but then once that thing starts flattening him out, frankly, you got to get him out of the, out of the, out of the baseball game. Neither one of these teams have bullpen depth. Ole Miss is going to have a huge advantage in that first game. I'm about to do the classic pro sports announcer guy where it's like you really don't want to let these guys have any room. You really want to eliminate them, go for the sweep, gentlemen, sweep, whatever. I will say people are going to shudder at the mere mention of this, but just in terms of the schedule and how this played out, this is basically Tennessee Tech in terms of the format. Like, right, they had – instead of having the one championship game that Sunday night, now they're going to have the two on Monday. I'm assuming they're playing two on Monday, right? They're not going to go Monday, Tuesday. That is my interpretation, yes. I'm, I didn't even check that, honestly. I, I, I could be just – Well, Miami, look, whatever. They've done a horrible job of making sure people are aware of the schedule. I, I mean, it has been a disaster time. this week. I can't – yeah, I can't even get – I can't figure – yeah, I, I couldn't figure out game times that they had. So, okay, now I don't even know what I'm saying. My entire take is just thrown off now. It, assuming it's two on, on Monday, I do think, if that is the case, I think that first game becomes vitally important because – We've seen this at times this year when Ole Miss kind of got LSU in that uh, game that was bridged between two days. Not having the day, if Ole Miss were to lose that first game, I mean, you're kind of seeing with Miami now, not having the day to literally sleep on it, wash it out, and having to turn around and play 45 minutes later. We've seen how that can be tougher on teams. And just with the way this regional's played out, if that's actually the case, which I I figured it would, I guess they wouldn't want to go to Tuesday unless they had to. That makes that game one all the more important because, you know, you've got all this quote-unquote momentum. Whatever, some people roll their eyes at that term, but whatever, for the sake of the point, that kind of can kind of get quelled if you get squashed in the first game and then all of a sudden it's a winner-take-all game 45 minutes later instead of having to go home or go to the hotel, go to sleep, wash out, and come back to the ballpark. The kind of proverbial new day thing, I do think that makes having that advantage and utilizing it in the first game from a pitching standpoint all the more important because – Honestly, if it's the second game in a day, we've seen how weird that gets. Uh, 2018, probably a pretty good example. The, the momentum going into that second game, if it's back-to-back, is huge. Yeah, it carries over. You have to kind of shake it off if you're the losing team and pick back up. The only time that it doesn't pick up is if the pitching discrepancy is so large yeah. to where one team just frankly doesn't have a freaking arm at all. And it, it is what it is, and they can't get outs. But by the time that whatever team gets to Ole Miss for that point, I think the two staffs are going to be pretty similar. I think you're trying to figure out if one of your main two arms can come back, give them anything. I mean, it's where 
you know, for Ole Miss, it depends how that first game went. I mean, Ole Miss's nightmare tomorrow would be losing a close game where you burn mallets in game one and then had to kind of figure out what that next day looked like or that next game looked like. I'm so, I mean, so yeah, I, they, again, it's a really dumb thing. It's an obvious answer, but Ole Miss has a much better chance of winning this regional if they win, if they get into and have a late lead in game one versus trying to make this thing happen in game two tomorrow. It's, it's a, I, I think it almost reverses back the other way. I, I'm trying to find this. This is bad podcasting, but like, can we get an if necessary game time? That just seems absurd that we. There don't. isn't one. I mean, I think it's 55 minutes after, but no, Miami on their athletic website did not post a regional schedule. That's awesome. Uh, just means more. Um, that's why that guy said in that Thursday press conference, Miami. That's why they come to Miami to play in front of 5,000 people. <laughs> that's literally exact quote. No irony there. Whatever. Anyway, that's annoying. But I, I think that's the case. I'm pretty sure that will be the case. And uh, uh, so I think it's important that Ole Miss finishes off there. I know that's not any earth-shattering take. Um, I guess last couple, like, housekeeping notes, did Mike announce Diamond? No, he said that he had not made a decision yet on pitcher for tomorrow, that it was somewhat dependent on who they play. I mean, I fully expect it to be Diamond, but um, there's been, you know, some thoughts that he could go a different direction for that. Would that be McDaniel or Doherty? I actually think if you've told me to just predict where he might go in a, in a weird way, I think you would even consider Gaddis or Washburn. I didn't think about that. Well, Gaddis was on the world's longest four-game suspension. so that He's, was- he's rested. I think the answer you, – you just that, that's a way better answer than the other two I threw out. Washburn might actually be – here's a better way to look at it. If it's, if it's Diamond tomorrow, and I know you got to figure out how the first game goes, if they get to a winner-take-all game, depending on who's available, who do you go with? Um, I hand the ball to Diamond in game one tomorrow, and then I use Gaddis to bridge out of him, I think is what I would do. Because I don't want to – Doherty is too much of a look like Diamond. I don't like that back-to-back because it's the same dude. I don't think you're getting any change there. And then I, I, I think – you know, it's kind of crazy that I'm saying this. I think I hand the ball to Washburn in a, in a necessary game. I think he's got a little edge to him. I think he's a guy that gives you a little more attitude that would be a little closer to getting the team behind him a little bit. Because Drew's got better stuff. Hey, look, he's the best story if he found a way to pull it out. But because of what he does mentally at times, I just don't I know that you can him trust him to get him out of there fast enough in a game that's defining your season. I'm with you there. I think you can't put him in that moment. Washburn's probably the right answer. Is there any prayer that he would – any consideration, I should say, that he would use Josh Mallett's? Start As a starter? Yeah. No, I don't think so. No, I think he would be first guy out of the bullpen as soon as there was a problem. But, no, I, I don't think you're looking at some sort of Taylor Broadway type situation here. Do we finally get the pr- appropriate pull for Derek Diamond? That I mean, everyone in the stands knows the second time to the order thing. With their season on the line, does he finally say, oh, this, there might be something to this data stuff? Or, like, do you think there's a shorter lease tomorrow is the best way to ask that question? Because everything is literally on the line. I mean, they're not. I do think it's. I, I, I would assume there is a little bit of a shorter leash. I think it's because of that more than anything else. Because, look, it's the. Look, I mean, Mike Bianco might be going to Omaha, and all this is a moot point here in a week. But it, it, it's what Mike is. It's why he's so complicated. He is literally one of the top program builders and coaches in the country. I mean, he is. There's no doubt about that. He is an exceptional program manager in all ways. He doesn't have a lot of feel as a coach. His feel is bad relative to a lot of other college coaches. And I think that that's one of those things. You look at Diamond and tomorrow – you have to anticipate, and you can't let it kind of get carried away. But if you use him correctly, and he has, you know, there's been a couple times where I thought, okay, that makes a lot of sense. You get him out right there, and you move on with your day. When that happens, 
it really kind of sets you up to where it's a dual starter thing. But you can piece together five, six innings. Now, look, the catch is that offense has got to score some freaking runs early. They've got to get Ole Miss at least two or three runs by the fourth inning tomorrow. That's got There has to be some runs on the board, settle everything down, maybe get ahead and kind of put your foot on a throat a little bit. you got to do some different things. When, when Diamond leaves that game tomorrow, whenever it is, assuming he starts, Ole Miss needs three or four runs on the board. Yeah, I'm with you. you you're, I don't think you're winning 2-1 on either game tomorrow. I think if you score two runs uh, tomorrow, you're probably playing a winner-take-all game. If you score two in that, you're probably going home. Um, that's really about it. It's an interesting – it's it's such a weird sport, right? They're now three games away from Omaha. Have you started packing for Baton Rouge yet? Or is that a suitcase <laughs> behind you? I'm just kidding. There's nothing behind you. But think about this. this I don't want to get the you know cart before the horse or whatever the hell the saying is, but – have you thought about the just absolute parallel gold in the writing of my, of him going to a super in Baton Rouge where his kid being on the other team is like the third best storyline? I know. I mean, look, a 365-day soap opera of interviewing with LSU to playing LSU in a super regional in Baton Rouge one year later. I mean, no, it, it's – there is so many elements to that. I mean, an Ole Miss team that's not going to be intimidated. They beat the crap out of LSU in Baton Rouge for three games. Now, LSU has Jacob Berry back. That does make a difference. But he doesn't pitch. You know, LSU doesn't have a ton of pitchers. So, no, that storyline is ripe for so many different things, TV, media, writing, and everything else. Um, LSU trying to put away Southern Miss tonight. But, it, no, Drew Bianco is literally the last thing on your mind if that happens. There are so many other things that are relevant in that weekend. Oh, it'd be amazing. And look, just like anything else on a time-sensitive podcast, that is, of course, not set in stone. As soon as I refresh my score app after saying that, Southern has taken a 7-4 to lead in the 7th okay. against there LSU. You so, you know, they're nine outs away from having a winner-take-all game tomorrow. So, clearly that's not – we discussed this on Thursday, but just for repetitive sake, we both agree uh, that, they, that they would be, as crazy as it sounds, better off going to play a Super in Alex Box Stadium in Baton Rouge than playing a Super against Southern Miss, don't you think? I think they're better – than LSU? Look, Southern Miss is it, Southern Miss is the more beatable team. You think so? I, I don't right. I think it's I think it's closer than you think. I think you're right. Granted, we didn't get a great sample, a great look at LSU because they didn't have Barry, um, and they just played bad baseball that weekend. But I, I think, but I think it may be closer than uh, than maybe some think. But I still think I'd rather go down there and play where they've already swept than go to. Well, you were talking about kind of a small park, hostile environment where everything's on top of you in Southern Oh, it will be a complete and utter shit show if Ole Miss plays Southern Miss and Hattiesburg next weekend. Yes. So, are you still on that train, though? Are you still – are you still – It's just hard for me to go, nope, the easier environment is to go to Alex Box in the postseason where LSU comes back from 10 down in the eighth inning and go, that's up for Ole Miss to go on the road with their pitching staff and put them away. Well – were we recording? I'm now delirious from the weekend. Were we recording when we talked about us confirming whether it's actually in Baton Rouge next weekend? No one. We were not recording. I, I'm 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 99 sure, but for some reason officials are not wanting to actually verify that. That is that's sort of my goal in the next like 90 minutes. So hopefully we have a little more information on that soon. Well, could you if if they can't settle anything, could you play it outside the Birmingham Marriott or wherever <laughs> that interview went down? <laughs> Just neutral site. There's some nice history there. Samford. Yes, Sanford, somewhere there. That's where they met in June last year. So, um, I don't know. I think well, but like, all of that kind of still has to be decided. looks like they might be heading for a winner-take-all game um, there tomorrow or Monday, whenever you're listening to this, there in Hattiesburg. Um, 
Last thing, anything else surprise you from this weekend? Uh, Tennessee is technically losing in the eighth inning as we record this. Any shockers from the weekend? Uh, the SEC West, as of uh, the end of Ole Miss's game, was 10-0 and in regionals. Wow. Now, look, LSU's losing. I mean, things can change. But at one point, they were 10-0. Um, the ease that Auburn had floated through the regionals of the first two games, the way they were scoring runs, thought that was kind of interesting. Um, that Vanderbilt really never showed up. That you know they lose to San Diego three to two. I thought that was interesting for the most part. Um, and then I want to see kind of how a bounce back happens tomorrow for Cliff and East Carolina. You know, a program with some scar tissue that's lost some super regionals that went really well for two days, and then Coastal. It seems like they're popping them tonight as of right now. Um, I, I find that one kind of interesting. Can they can they fight back? Can they match, can they set up a pretty neat matchup with Texas, assuming Texas uh, knocks off Air Force and their regional final? So yeah, the, the SEC playing well. Um, you know, Florida showing some guts today. They're up seven two on Oklahoma as we're doing this right now. Uh, I don't know if there's any just crazy surprises. You know, three seeds have performed incredibly well. Yeah, how about um, so three seeds have been really good. VCU taking control of a regional that included North Carolina and Georgia. Uh, VCU beat Cannon. And uh, now I think they're getting creamed right now. And so that's headed for a winner take all tomorrow. I think that game actually is in. I think it was like 19 to 8 or something crazy. Yeah, I think North Carolina will probably end up winning this regional. But I, I agree with you. Yeah, just them in the driver's seat. How about Michigan, the- VCU, Texas State, and UConn were all 2 0. That's nuts. Um, and then. You've had some weird scores. Did you see Arkansas? They were down like eight to five. I was at a wedding this weekend. The bride and groom went to Ole Miss, but they're all Little Rock people. So tons of Arkansas people there getting the game up on their phones and whatnot. They're down like 10-5 or whatever, 8-5 or whatever it was in like the seventh and win the game 20 to 12. And then you had Oklahoma State outlast Missouri State today, uh, 29 to 15. It was 12 to nothing Missouri State at one point. Oh, I buried the lead there. I didn't watch a second of that game, obviously. Wait, <laughs> so they outscored them 29-3 to over the final six innings? Is that Do I have this correct? You do, What's yes. Do? When, when I turned that game on, it was Missouri State 12, Oklahoma State nothing. You're right, in the, in the, uh, at the end of three innings. Or, yeah, 12 nothing, and that's a that – Oklahoma State went 6-4-7-0-5-7 to close out the game. They, they turned a 12 nothing deficit into a 17-14 lead in two innings. What a time of the year. That is unbelievable. Yeah, nothing else really shocked me either. Um, Texas State, it wouldn't stun me that they went through. We had another Pac-12 pitching powerhouse just go down, um, as we've seen in the last half decade. But um, we'll see. I appreciate the time. He is Chase Parham. You and Neil will be reacting. What are y'all going to do? What do you got, Monday afternoon, Monday night show? Yeah, we actually – I don't know. It kind of depends on how tomorrow goes. We will have the full uh, answer to whatever's going on on Tuesday. And then tomorrow is kind of to be determined because of there could be an unnecessary game. So we're kind of we're, – we're, we're going to play it by ear, and then we'll go from there tomorrow. Colin and I will be doing the same for the record. Uh, Rivals.com just being held hostage by the incompetence mm-hmm. of the Coral Gables Regional. Nobody getting any times out. I appreciate the time, and uh, we'll do this again soon. All right, that is our show. If you made it to the end, appreciate you spending your uh, – hopefully Sunday night or Monday morning with us. I don't know why you would listen to this after you know the result of the, uh, of the Ole Miss game on Monday. But uh, I had to get a bonus pot out there for the people. Uh, appreciate the feedback on the pod. As always, uh, this pod is actually literally made by – the people. I only recorded this because so many people asked for an emergency podcast. So appreciate the listenership. Thanks for making time for the pod. Colin and I will be back on uh, Monday, I guess, as you and her, Chase and I say, our assumption is, is that they're playing two games tomorrow if they need to. 
I guess they could go into Tuesday, but uh, Coral Gables regional people need to uh, step it up there. But anyway, Colin and I will be back, obviously reacting whatever happens to this regional when it concludes. Y'all have a good start to the week.